with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. They immediately told him about her. He approached, grasped her hand, and helped her up. Then the fever left her, and she waited on them. When it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and on finding him said, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, Let us go on to the nearby villages, that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, in the old Mass, we used to have announcements at this time, so I'm going to take advantage of that for one weekend because we have a timely announcement we need to make about this Mass itself. Yesterday was the Feast of St. Blaise, and so we have the annual Blessing of Throats that does always occur. We can then transfer that to the weekend, which is what we're doing. So right after the general intercessions, if you would like to receive this blessing, just invite you to come down the center aisle like you do for communion and then return back to your pews and you can be seated and then mass will continue on after that. So that will be available today. Also on Saturday, everyone's been really looking forward to, we're gonna have our open house. So you have the opportunity to come over and see the brand new rectory. And we can rejoice together in this great accomplishment that's been done. And then right after you've seen upstairs, you're welcome to then come downstairs. And we're going to have basement bingo. We're going to celebrate together as a parish community. So that's going to be on Saturday right after the evening mass. So, how is everyone doing? Perhaps you saw the interesting story that's popped up over the course of this past week where Elmo, the little red monster from Sesame Street, jumped onto X, all formerly known as Twitter, and sent out that simple little question, how's everybody doing? And oh my goodness, people responded. There was a huge number of people who responded to this little red monster just pouring out their soul to him, saying that life is hard, people are very much struggling, it's really difficult, thousands and thousands of responses. And so it became an interesting point of conversation. I heard a lot of different commentaries on this reality. Anything from, oh my gosh, the world is coming to an end, nobody is happy, to the other extreme of, seriously people, like it's a joke, why are we even paying any attention to this? And as always, I think the truth is in between those two. It's in the middle. For how many of those people did just get on and they're like, oh, this is fun, I'm going to respond, send something in. But how many people actually found that as an opportunity to truly pour out their soul? To truly show that they are hurting on the inside. 
And if this was a singular isolated event, I wouldn't pay any attention to it. But if we look at statistics that are going on right now, America is currently more unhappy than we've ever been in the last 50 years. This is not an isolated event. Stats show that as the years continue on, we become more and more unhappy. And why is that? So many people have wrote entire theses over why that's happening, and a lot of these theses hold a lot of weight, and it's worth looking at, for much has changed over the course of the past 50 years. But I think the easiest one that we can point to for sure is we have less God in our country today. And because of that, people are becoming less happy. And why do I hold that one up over all the rest? Not just because I'm a priest, but again, look at the facts. The happiest people on the face of the earth right now are the ones who go to church, who are involved with a community, who have this as the bedrock of their existence. They are the happiest people. And so it goes to stand that those who are unhappy, it makes sense why that's the case, if God is not part of their life on a regular basis. And so perhaps as we hear Job in our first reading today, We can relate very well to that. Life is a drudgery. Maybe we feel that ourselves, but I'm willing to bet every single one of us knows somebody who feels this way. Life is terrible. Life is horrible. Life is just dragging on. I'm just making it day to day. And then that last line, I am doomed to never be happy again. That hopelessness sets in. And so the question then is, what are we doing about it? If we're struggling in our own life, or if we see our brothers and sisters are struggling in their lives, are we doing something about that? Are we reaching out, trying to lift them up, to bring them the glory of what we just heard proclaimed in the gospel today? Every single week we gather together, every single day we gather together, and we listen to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the answer to everything. And yet so often we treat God as our last resort, not as our first one. If everything else fails, then we'll go to God. And that's what happens in the book of Job, doesn't it? We hear this first lamentation that Job is putting out, and we know the story that he was doing incredibly well, and then all of a sudden, unbelievable disaster hit him seemingly overnight. He lost his family. He lost his home. He lost his income. He lost everything that he had built up in this life. And so all of a sudden, he's now in this state that makes perfect sense. He's struggling with that. For Scripture even says multiple times over, God himself says that Job is the just one in my eyes. And yet all of this difficulty falls on him. And so he's struggling with that. The greatest question of the faith. How can God allow bad things to happen to good people? And so he's in the midst of this struggle. All of a sudden three of his friends who hear about this come out and they meet him. And they see the great pain that he's in. And they meet him in that pain for seven days. They sit there with him in silence, and they suffer with him. But then they get tired of the suffering. They get tired of waiting. 
and they decide they're going to take it into their own hands to find their own solution. And it even sounds like they're saying good and holy things as they're talking about the justice of God. And shouldn't you know that he, he, he brings down his wrath upon those who have done wrong? And so they turn from being companions and friends to becoming accusers. And over the course of time, it wears on Job that he struggles. Not only is he already in pain, but now he's being accused of all of these things that are not true. And never does he deny his faith, never does he deny God. But he does begin to doubt. Because those who are supposed to be with him are finding their own solutions, none of which make any sense whatsoever, and it begins to weigh him down. And then finally, at the end of this story, God steps in. And he says, Job, I'm going to ask you some questions. And he reminds Job of just how little he is and how grand God is. He says, Job, can you tell me, where are the storehouses of all the rain, of all of the hail? Can you tell me, how do you shackle the great beasts of the deep? He reminds Job that everything is in God's power and that Job has been in his hand the whole time. And then he restores Everything that was taken away, and then some, brings Job back to that great glory. But here's the problem. At the end of the book, there's still no answer to the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Because Job wouldn't have been able to understand it. We are still waiting for the fulfillment. We have to read the book of Job in light of the gospel, in light of the Acts of the Apostles, in light of the readings of St. Paul. Because all of those in the New Testament shine light on the old and complete the story that has begun today. The idea that Jesus Christ himself, the perfect man, the one who committed no sin whatsoever, had unbelievable suffering that came upon him. There was no more suffering than what it is that Jesus went through. This was clearly not punishment. This was something else. It was Jesus willingly entering into suffering, pain, death, to transform that into glory, light, resurrection, salvation. This is the answer to the story. And the answer begins in our gospel today, where the fruit of the resurrection is being given to those who approach Jesus, that all of this suffering is being transformed into healing. And so this is where we find our hope today, that our focus is never truly upon suffering itself. Instead, it's the question of, what can that suffering bring into this world? When St. Paul writes about this glorious encounter, he says that you and I, we make up for the suffering that's lacking in Christ. And what that means is, as we gaze upon the crucifix, as we gaze upon that act which won us our salvation, Jesus looks back at us lovingly. And he says, do you see what I'm doing? Do you see how I am redeeming the world? Would you like to be part of that? Would you like to take some of my suffering 
Share it with me. Unite it with me on the cross so that you too can win salvation for souls in the world. That's the answer to suffering. It's not offer it up. Well, it is ultimately, but understanding that truly, it's an act of the heart. It's uniting ourselves with Christ on the cross. It's not, oh, don't worry, things will get better. Are we sure about that? Some people suffer their entire lives. But how many souls have they saved? It's not these empty platitudes that we give to each other when we're just tired of encountering someone else's suffering. This is why we're called to be people of compassion. That beautiful word there, calm with passion, suffering. To meet others in their suffering. To share in their suffering. To carry that burden with them and to bring them to Christ. It's exactly what was happening in the gospel today. That all of these people were struggling. And yet they had friends who met them in their suffering. And they said, I know a man who can help you. And they brought them to Jesus. And incredible healings, incredible freedom was given. And at the end of the gospel, because Jesus was here in his human form, he could only be in one place at one time. And so he needed to move on. It was harder for the people to find him. Now, it's super easy. Any Catholic church anywhere in the world, Jesus has made himself radically present in the Eucharist is our first response when suffering enters into our life. I'm going to Christ. Not just in prayer. That's a good and beautiful and holy thing. Absolutely do that. But to take that extra step of faith and say, I know where the Savior is. I know where healing is found. And it's right here in this holy temple. There's a reason why we no longer lock our doors. So that anybody can come in at any time and encounter Jesus. To have that moment of healing. And then when we have that faith ourselves, to then go out to encounter others, to share this good news with others in the world. Because thanks be to God, you're here this morning. You're hearing this message, this great message of hope. How many are in our own communities? How many people do we go to school with? How many people do we work with who are not hearing this message this morning? And they need to hear it. That's why we're called to be a people of compassion to meet them in their sorrow, to meet them in their suffering, and then to bring them to Christ. So I ask you again, how is everybody doing? That's one of our common things that we just ask each other. We encounter and say, how are you doing today? Do we listen to the response? Do we respond honestly? It's really beautiful. Ever since I started paying attention to this, He'll be like, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. I'll ask. Just fine? Tell me about it. And that gives them the opportunity to open their hearts so that I have the opportunity to preach the truth. The glory of the gospel is not frozen in the first century. It's waiting to be poured into our community today. And God has invited us to be parts of this beautiful healing ministry. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.